Well, if you can see that video, you know I'm going to make a pitch right now for all of you who are New Springers. You know, if you come to New Spring in any of our services, you could get the idea that we're a well-oiled machine. And that's because there are a lot of volunteers. In fact, we probably have 600 volunteers on a weekend that are, that are serving. And after a busy week, they're coming to serve, and several of them will serve several services. So we, we would like for you to think about this. Our goal, if you're a New Springer, is for you to say, I worship one, serve one, and to worship, to worship in an experience and to volunteer. We always joke and say we're going to get the reputation about that church. All they ever talk about is volunteers, and that's true. We, we want you to think about serving and volunteering because you can do something that will change the world. And, and I don't want to give a, a talk on this because I've got another talk coming in just a moment. But the other day I spoke to our Kids World volunteers and I said, you know, I think about what you do. Like, for instance, today, there'll probably be, or this weekend, there will be 1,500 kids here on our campus from birth to fourth grade. Think about that. And that's an extraordinary thing because so many churches, and, and, and I'm so thankful for people of all ages, but so many churches don't always have a lot of young people in them, and New Spring does. And I, I just think about these kids. How many of us, we, got, we walked away from church because our parents maybe made us go. It was an unpleasant experience. It was, an, you know, it was an institutional experience. And we said, as soon as I can get out of here, I, I won't ever go back to church. We hear stories about parents of our kids who drive by the campus and the kids are crying because it's Thursday and we don't have a service on Thursday, you know? And I, I was talking to our, our volunteers and I said, you know, I think about all the time you know, when I see you volunteering, I think about all the things that are going to happen because of what you do. And I said, but I want to talk to you tonight about all the things that aren't going to happen because of what you do. Because how many of us have been down bad road and been through painful experiences because we weren't engaged when we were young with the message that transformed our life? It was, we were adults before it happened. And I, and I asked them to think about how many, you know, abusive relationships will never happen because of you. How many painful addictions will never form because of you? And so I want to challenge you today, whether you're, you're interested in working in kids or tech or you like, you know, worship experience or hospitality, whatever you do, I promise you, you can do something that will change the world. So if you're a new springer, if you don't mind, take a look at the back of this card and take a look at what you're interested in. I promise you, if you give us this card back with a check box or two checks or three checks or how many checks you put on, you know, in the on these boxes, I promise you, you're not signing up for a seven-year hitch every weekend. All you're doing is you're saying, I'm open to exploring, okay? I promise you. And we'll get back with you, and we'll give you the information. But please think about that, because even though we may have five or 600 volunteers, we need 1,000. So please consider that. And uh, if we've been talking about sowing seed, that's an awesome place to sow seed. All right, let's jump right into the talk today. Uh, if you were here the first week, you know I shared with you the idea that it's not always possible for us to change. That's one thing I've come to believe about myself is that there are certain things about me I cannot change. But the good news is, is that God has not told me to change. He's told me to change my mind, but that's, that's repentance. But I, as a person, there are, there are elements of Mark that are never going to change. And thankfully, God has not asked me to change. But what he has told me I can do is I can grow. And so at the beginning of this new year, I've asked you to consider that as a possibility, that whether or not you feel you can change, all of us can say, I can grow. I also challenge us to think about ourselves as different life forms from all of, other, all of God's other creation. Because as human beings, you not only are the life form, but God has given you the stewardship of your own personal growth. And in that sense, you and I are both the farm because we're the life, we're the life form, we're the, we're the living being, we're the farm and the farmer. 
And we, we talked about visiting our fields because I shared with you the idea that most of us have a farm with multiple fields. We have a physical health field, personal development field, a career field, finances field, personal relationship, a relationship field, and most of all, our, our personal relationship with God and our purpose for being. The, the, all those fields, and you probably came up with others. But I also shared with you how that I know in my life, I'm reluctant to visit fields where things are not happening. I like to visit fields where I'm, I'm successful. And if I'm in an area like just say, let, let's say that, you know, my, for a long time last year, I was eating too much and gaining too much weight, and I'm still fighting that battle. I, I would tend not to visit the scales because I knew what I, the number I was going to see wasn't good. So I just didn't, I didn't weigh. And so that's the way we can be with a field where stuff is not happening. It's like, well, I, I don't want to go to that field. But here's what I challenge us to do in week one. Don't visit your fields with shame that leads to guilt. How many of us, how many of us have, have discovered that when we feel compelled to change because of guilt, whatever endeavor we get into, it's short-lived? That's my experience. Anything that guilt motivates in my life is temporary. Because guilt is a powerful motivation, but it's a short-term motivator. So I, I ask us, go visit our fields not with shame that leads to guilt, but go visit it with a sense of opportunity, like a farmer who would stare at a field where nothing is happening, and she or he would say, nothing's growing here, but something could. That took us to the week, second week. And the second week is this. If you stand before a field where nothing is growing, in your finances or relationships or, or, or whatever, if you stand before a field where nothing is growing, and you say, some, nothing's going on here, but something could. Here's what you and I are going to have to do. We're going to have to plant seeds. It's unreasonable to expect a harvest when we haven't planted any seed. Here's what I got you to think about. Every thought you think, every word you say, every action you perform, and every attitude you hold are seeds. Those, those words we say, the thoughts we think, the things we do, the attitudes we hold, those are seeds. And today's harvest that you and I are experiencing is a product of yesterday's seed. There is a, there is a connection. And... Tomorrow's harvest is a product of today's seed. So I challenge you to think about your fields and what kind of seed that you want to plant. Jonathan came in week three and talked about nurturing the seed. Last week, I talked to you about the soil. Jesus gave us a great story about how that the soil of life is our attitude. When we plant the seeds into our lives, our attitudes are huge. If we have a broken and open attitude toward God and we're ready to listen to what, is, what he's saying to us, we have the potential to have supernatural seed planted in our life. Now, all that brings us to this week. And here's a question. And I, I had a lot of thought and a lot of prayer about, well, how am I going to finish this series? Because it's been a series that a lot of you have really attached to. And there's so many things I could have talked about in this final week. But I want to talk to you about harvest. We sang a song a few moments ago that said, when everything falls apart. I want to ask you a question. What are you going to do when everything comes together? What are you going to do when it happens? What are you going to do when the harvest begins to grow, when the live plants grow up in the field and the fruit begins to form, and then finally when the fruit comes to maturity? What are you going to do when everything comes together? Now, here's the thing that I realized, and I've been sweating this the first two times I delivered the talk, and I'm still sweating it now. A lot of you don't believe it's possible. Here's where, here's where probably a lot of you are. You're saying, Mark, I'm open to this enough to where I might drop some new seed in my life but I am afraid to let myself think that I could ever experience a harvest. See, that's my problem with some of us here today because I'm going to have a hard time getting you to think because you're looking at your personal relationships and you're saying, right now, Mark, they're in the toilet 
and I, I might believe in this enough to where I could start planning some healthy thoughts and actions and attitudes, but the idea that I could, I mean, last week we saw the words from the Bible that God is able to give you a harvest beyond your wildest dreams. And the idea that you could have a harvest beyond your wildest dreams in your finances or your career, or your relationship with God, the jeopardy of it not happening is too painful for you to even contemplate the possibility of it right now. And so my goal today is to reach out to you and metaphorically, lovingly embrace you and tell you the good news from God, that God always keeps his word, and there will be harvest. We're going to see a verse at the end of this sermon. God says there will be a harvest. If you plant the seed and you nurture the seed and you have healthy attitudes as God sees them, there will be a harvest. What are you going to do when it all comes together? Well, it all comes down to how you see the harvest. You know, I think a lot of Amer average Americans, when they contemplate success in life, which is what the harvest is, I'm not talking about success in, in, in the world's terms, but I'm talking about when, when things just work. Americans tend to see success in life like winning the lottery. When everything comes together for me in my relationships, when everything comes together for me in my career, I'm just going to be able to kick back and relax, and, and, you know, it's like swinging in a hammock in the South Sea breezes. When everything works for me, I'm just going to... And here's the idea that a lot of Americans have. Success brings its own momentum. I'm just going to ride the waves and take it easy. It would be interesting at this moment. In fact, I'm a city boy. I grew up in in the inner city in Fort Worth, Texas, but a lot of you came from ag backgrounds and you're telling me about it. I would be so, it would be so interesting right now to inter interview a real farmer who's experienced a real harvest. Because I would love to ask, I would love to ask him, is that what happens in harvest? Does, does harvest just sort of have its own momentum where you can kick back and lay back and let it happen when the harvest comes? I can hear some farmers out there. You're saying, are you kidding me? It is the busiest time of the year. I would love to talk to somebody who started a business, and I know that a number of you have. When you first started your business, you didn't know if it's going to work. You had a business plan. You wrote it on a three-by-five card, and you, said, you just wanted somebody to walk in. Even as a postman, you just want somebody to walk in. But now everybody wants your product, and you're opening multiple stores. Let me ask you a question. Is harvest a time of kicking back and taking it easy and just being a conspicuous consumer? You would say, Mark, I am busy out of my brains. That is because harvest brings two things. Now, see, most people, if life has taught me anything in my years, and I've trained leaders and worked with leaders through the years, if life has taught me anything, more people are able to handle life when everything falls apart than are able to handle life when everything comes together. Oftentimes, we're far more equipped to handle failure than success. Because failure will call, it will drive us to ask questions. It will humble us to the place where we're ready to listen. Success, on the other hand, has a way of messing with our minds. So today, let's unpack success. What happens when everything comes together for you? There are two concepts to me that are paramount when I think about what happens in a time of harvest. Harvest brings two things with it. Harvest brings enrichment, and harvest brings accelerated opportunity. Harvest will always bring more resources, and it will always bring accelerated opportunity. Now, here's the thing. You, you've already figured out that the reason why most people can't handle harvest is they tend to see enrichment, but they don't see accelerated opportunity. So they say to themselves, when I have a harvest, I'm going to have all this enrichment. But when you have true success in life, not only are you going to have these resources, life is going to speed up for you. 
I'm an old guy, and I can't help but get this picture out of my head. And for all of you who are young, you're going to have probably no idea what I'm talking about. But before I was born, there was a groundbreaking sitcom on television. And this groundbreaking sitcom was so successful that it was syndicated for years and is probably still playing on television somewhere. It was, it was groundbreaking because the comedian who was the star was one of the most hilarious human beings who ever drew breath. And the writing was snappy and ahead of its time. And thirdly, it was filmed in a technique that, again, was ahead of its time. And because of that, the sentence com, I Love Lucy, was on television forever. A lot of you have never seen it, but even when they, when they do television's top 100 moments, chances are they're going to be four or five moments from I Love Lucy that are in top 20. And there's one moment that I can't help but think about right now. Lucy, a homemaker, wants to get a part-time job, and she gets a job in a candy factory. Oh, a few of you have seen it. <laughs> she gets a job in a candy factory. She has no experience in a candy factory, has no idea what's going on. She's placed there by a woman who is her supervisor. You can tell has probably made candy all her life. And she's got Lucy there in front of a conveyor belt. And chocolates are starting to roll down the conveyor belt far faster than Lucy ever dreamed possible. And so she begins to try to wrap them up, but she can't wrap them up. And after a while, she's wrapping them up hastily and ill form, and then she's sticking them in her pocket and sticking them in her hat. And, and finally, she's able to get all the chocolates off the conveyor belt. And the woman who's supervising her comes in, sees the empty conveyor belt, and says, okay, speed it up. <laughs> I want to tell you that's what success is like. When success really happens, when things come together, it's as if God says, okay, speed it up. When you have a success in relationships, God says, speed it up. You get riches but you get accelerated opportunity. So with that in mind, what are you going to do when it all pays off? I hate it when a minister tells me he has six points because I have ADHD and I have a hard time holding more than two. But today I'm going to give you six things that the Bible tells us that you do when you have harvest. And so if there was ever a time to take notes, this is it this morning. Plus this will be on the internet or you can get the DVD, whatever. What are you going to do when it all pays off? What do you do in harvest time? Now, at the risk of being tried, here's the first thing you do in harvest. You harvest. You harvest. Farmers know you don't leave a crop in the field. When life is successful, when you get to the place where God blesses you with the enrichment that comes from the seed you have planted, you don't just lie back. You don't just kick back. You don't just put it on autopilot. When the harvest is in the field, you harvest. There's a verse in the Bible, in Proverbs 10, verse 5, the Bible says, the guy who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. In everything in life, and, and this is the thing that I've watched over the years as a pastor, I've seen people who are in unhealthy marriages, unhealthy relationships, and maybe in some cases they really did marry somebody who was a bad person. Maybe they were dating somebody who was a you know, serial offender, serial adulterer, a real, a real predator or something. And this person is saying, oh, this is so horrible. And they're going through this difficult time. And they're saying, if only I could find this special guy, if only I could find this special gal, life would be so great. And here's what I've watched a lot of times in guys who've been through very toxic relationships. And, and it ends, and they, they, they meet Miss Wonderful. They meet this wonderful woman. And they get married. And I've seen guys at that point who would say, oh, okay, check that box. I got the wonderful woman. I can just go hunting all the time. You digging what I'm saying this morning? I'm saying sometimes what happens is when we get a harvest, we don't harvest. We don't understand that if you get a healthy relationship, it will require more of you. 
If you find a healthy man, if you find a healthy woman, if you get in that kind of healthy relationship, it will require everything from you. You say, oh, if I could only have a child, I just want to have a child, I just want to have a child. If I have a child, it'd be great. I can just put it in the back room. <laughs> How many of us want that promotion at work? You know, it's like, oh man, I've labored, I've labored, I've labored, I've put in my time, and all of a sudden they come down to you and say, okay, we're well, gonna bring you up to uh, human resources. And you get up there and they say, you need to go see the president of the company. You go in the president's there and the vice president's there and they say, we have an opening and you're the new vice president of whatever. Wow, you go home, you tell your husband, you tell your wife, Think about the income we're going to have now. I mean, they told me what I was going to make. I can't believe what I'm going to be making. But then you go to work and you find out what your job is like. You see? But you do that. When, when, when everything comes together and you have success and you meet that right person and you, you're able to have a healthy relationship or your finances do come together, you need to harvest. Be careful with, I can live with that. That's enough for me. I'm going to tell you something. If God puts a harvest in your field, you go to work. Now, the second thing you do, and i got to tell you right up front, I am the world's worst at this. This is hard for me because I'm going to preach something that I'm terrible at. And the reason why I say that is everybody, including Mary, starting with Mary Alice, and all the people around me are going to know Mark is the world's worst at this. I'm preaching it because it's in the Bible, not because I'm good at it. And that's this. When you have a time of harvest... Stop at a moment and celebrate. I, you know, a, a few moments ago I said a lot of people just see the resources and don't see the accelerated opportunity. I'm the very opposite. All I see is accelerated opportunity. And I'm thinking, you know what? If, putting, if, if, if dropping seed in the ground has been successful with me, if keeping the foot down on the accelerator has got us here, then let's just floorboard this baby. And the problem is... I don't know how to celebrate. I don't know how to, I don't know how to stop and enjoy what God has done in my life. And, and I probably drive the people around me to, to exhaustion. I think this is one of the reasons why I hit the wall two years ago. I don't know how to slow down. I don't know how to take time off. And thankfully, I have a wonderful wife and our executive pastor who is my closest friend. Both of them have a metaphorical way of taking me by the shoulders and turning me around and saying, Mark, look how far we've come. Do I have any soul sisters or soul brothers out there like that? All you can see is opportunity. And it's like, wow, if this is a season of opportunity, let's press here. Let's get more. Why do we do that? Well, I think one reason is just what I said. We tend to see only, only opportunity. I think there's another reason. And this is, well, this is too complicated because I'm just trying to understand myself. I think that we're a little bit afflicted by Puritan Calvinism. I'll explain that in just a moment, but before I do, I want to show you what the Bible has to say about celebration. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 14, it says, Be joyful at your feast for seven days. I would not, I'd be crazy if I stopped for seven days and celebrated. I would have to be put away. To me, a four-day four vacation, I don't know what to do with the other three days. For, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in the work of your hands. Now think about that. God is saying he wants to bless you in the work of your hands. Now what do I mean by, for those of us who have a hard time celebrating, we're influenced by a Puritan Calvinism. Even if you're a non-believer, even if you're a non-theist, chances are you're still, you're still affected by this American Puritan Calvinism that's still in our culture. Well, by Puritan, I just mean they had a very austere, 
way of looking at life. And a lot of blessings in that, a lot of good things in that, but there were some down things in it. And Calvinism, and this is more than you want to know, but Calvinism is a school of theology that teaches basically that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And that human beings have no response or, or, or we have no effect on anything that happens because God has already predetermined anything, everything. So the idea of an austere life married to anything that we do, there's no connection with anything we do and any outcome in our lives. And forgive me, let me stop for a moment. Have you ever heard a statement that was true, but it was taken to such an extreme that it wasn't true anymore? It is true that if anything good happens in our lives, it's from God. Wouldn't you agree with that? But isn't it a false statement to say that nothing we do has any bearing on outcomes in our life? And see, that's one of my problems. I think that's one of the reasons why I can't stop and celebrate is because I'm saying if anything good is happening in my life, I didn't have anything to do with that. My choices didn't make, have anything to do with that. That's not true. It's biblically not true. In Psalm 18, David says, the Lord rewarded me for doing right. And here's the thing. Not only did David say the Lord rewarded me for doing right, I'm instructed to tell you that the seed you sow has a bearing on your harvest. I think one of the problems that we have, whether we tend to over-celebrate or, you know, and, and veg, or if we tend to be like myself, I think a big part of that is we say, well, you know, I don't have anything to do with this. It's just God. Here's what I'm instructed to tell you. In Isaiah 3, verse 10, the Bible says, Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. See, when I celebrate for a moment, here's the thing, and this is why it's very, very important and practical in your life and mine. When we celebrate good choices, we are stopping for a moment and saying, this harvest I am enjoying, God has brought this harvest in my life, and it's connected to the fact that somewhere back down along the road, I made the right choice. I made the healthy choice. I made the good choice. I made good choices. I sow good seed, and now I'm eating the harvest. I need the positive reinforcement because down the road in another season, I'm going to be inclined and tempted to make a bad choice, and I'm going to remember that celebration when I stopped and enjoyed the harvest and said, I made good choices, and God has given me a good harvest. But that's not all. When I read that verse a few moments ago about celebrating, I left out a whole bunch. Now I want to go back and fold it in. In Deuteronomy 16, 14, the Bible says, Rejoice at your festival, you, look at this, your son and daughter. Your kids need to see you rejoice. Your kids need to see you celebrate. Your kids need to hear you say, hey, guys, you know what? Back down the road, mom and I made some healthy, made some healthy choices and decisions, and God has blessed it, and now we're having harvest. Your kids, look at this. Your servant, your maid, that's the people who work for you. If you have a business and God has blessed you, they need to see you celebrate. And then the Levite, that's your spiritual leader. That's kind of an odd one. I need to see you celebrate because it encourages me to see you be blessed for doing the right thing. And then the foreigner, that's the people who believe differently. And the widows and orphans, the disadvantaged and the discouraged, all these people need to see you celebrate because when you stop for a moment and connect the dots between healthy choices and the harvest. People pay attention. Okay, I got to hurry. I've given you two points and I've got 10 minutes, nine minutes left. Okay, here we go. Number three. Okay, this is a big one. 
Even though it's true that it's connected to the choices we make, the harvest is still something that God brings into our lives. And so whenever God makes things work out in your life, it is very important for you to do one thing at this moment, and that is to remember, to remember God. In the book of Deuteronomy, there is a a word that God says to his people, the Israelites. These are the Israelites who left Egypt and went into the promised land. And God says a word to them that always catches my attention. It's the word beware. I don't know about you, but whenever I see that yellow sign with the word beware, it always gets me. Because beware means I have a legitimate reason to be afraid. I mean, I see a sign that says beware of dog. It always scares me. I don't care if they have a poodle. It still scares me. (laughs) Down in Texas where I'm from, used to be guys that, you know, they'd have a gun rack in the back of their pickup truck and there'd be a bumper sticker that said, forget the dog, beware of owner. Or I've been at the ocean, beware of dangerous currents. You know, just beware of toxic waste in the hospital. Beware. And so God says to the Israelites, beware. Now, that's not surprising to me because this is, one, this is a group of people that went through the greatest jeopardy perhaps in the human race. Think about this. They were slaves in Egypt. God could have said, beware of being a slave. That gets my attention. And on top of that, when they finally were let go, they got pinched in between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. God could have said, hey, beware of getting yourself trapped. But he didn't. They go into a desert, three million people. There's no water. God could have said, beware of dehydration. Made sense. They have nothing to eat. There are no quick trips to McDonald's out in the wilderness. And God could have said, beware of starving to death, but he didn't. The one that got my attention, they have snakes. And I know a lot of you love snakes, and, and, you, and I'm, I'm, I respect you. But as far as I'm concerned, the only kind of good snake is a dead snake. Because there are two kinds of snakes. There are those that will hurt you, and there are those that will make you hurt yourself. (laughs) And they got poisonous snakes going through a wilderness, killing lots of people. If God said, beware of snakes, I'm all over it. But in all those things, interestingly enough, God didn't tell them to beware of any of those things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he tells them when they should beware. And it's surprising to me. So just hang with me for a moment and read this. When God your God, when God your God ushers you into the land he promised to give you, you're going to walk in large bustling cities you didn't build, well-furnished houses you didn't buy. You're going to come upon wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Are you kidding me? All this stuff these poor people have been through, and God doesn't say beware. And he said, okay, you're back in your house. And, you know, you've had dinner, and you got television on. You're watching Super Bowl, and you got your feet up. And God's saying, then beware. Beware of what? Look at this. You ready, New Spring? Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of bondage. Now, hear me for a moment. And hear God. That's, forget me. Hear God. Do you know what God is saying to them? God is saying, I can handle anything that worries you. Church, New Springers, 2013, God is saying to you, I can handle anything that's bothering you. If it's Pharaoh, I can handle him. I can give him 10 deals he can't refuse. If it's a Red Sea, I can open that rascal right up. If you're thirsty, I can give you water out of a rock. If you're hungry, I can rain down man upon you. If there's snakes crawling around, put up a brass pole. God is saying, look, all the stuff that worries you, I can handle that. God is saying, there is only one thing I can't handle. God is saying, I can't handle it if you forget me. Do I hear that today? Because, see, I tend to remember God when I'm in trouble. I tend to forget him when I'm riding high and everything comes together. Number four, in the season of harvest, 
you share. If you were here for the Christmas series, you know I told you about Ruth. We'll talk about her again in the Grace series. But in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, the Bible says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest grain along the edges or corners, some translations say. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigner. Now, when the Bible tells us that in the harvest time they were not to harvest the corners, here's what I think is the modern application of that. When you have a harvest, you're going to have margin. There is going to be income, there is going to be expertise, there's going to be time, there's going to be opportunity that isn't dedicated to go in a particular place. And God is saying, look, out of that margin, you share. One of the problems that we have in America is one of the reasons why we can't share out of our margin is we're borrowed up to our eyeballs and we're, our margin is going to interest payments. But that's a good, good time to talk about financial peace here at New Spring. But God is saying, look, share out of your margin. When you're blessed, in any kind of blessing, whether it's financial or if it's ability or if it's time or opportunity, God is saying, look, out of that margin, there are some people who haven't been blessed yet. They don't know what it's like to taste the harvest yet. Out of your margin, you share. Number five, you worship. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your harvest. Now, here's what's interesting, and I'm trying to wrap my arms around this. God is saying, Mark, I want you to share out of your margin, but when it comes to honoring God and worshiping God, God says, bring me what's first. And that's one reason why, and I'm not preaching this today, but that's one reason why tithing has been a big part of our life. God has said, if I'll bring the first tenth to him, he'll bless it. But God isn't to be honored out of the margin. God is to be honored with what is first. Why? In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, Then your barns will be completely filled, and your vats will overflow with new wine. God is saying, look, if you will worship me with the blessing, whether it's your time or your expertise, that's one of the things about volunteering, or if it's with your money, God is saying, look, if you will, bless, if you will honor me with what's first, then I'll bless your socks off. Remember, God's not a charity case looking for donors. He's an entrepreneur looking for partners. Well, I was born at night, and I really was, but not last night. So I know what some of you are saying. You've said, and here's the deal. There was a time when, you're, when your soil was broken, but right now you're riding high and everything's going great, and you got a title and you got money, and life is good. And you're saying, Mark, look, I don't need to think about sharing with my margin. I need my margin. I'm gonna, I want to buy the yacht with that. I'm, and as far as giving God what's first, forget about that, man. My barn's already bursting. That takes me to number six. And every other thing that I've given you has been a single word, but number six is several words, and it's this. When you, when you have a harvest, you stay in the game. Because a season of harvest is exactly that. It is a season of harvest. God not only wants you to experience, and farmers all know this, God not only wants you to experience one harvest, God wants you to experience sequences of harvests. See, the problem with having a harvest is that when you look back on a harvest, you realize the challenge of it. And there can be a moment where you would like to just stop and say, I'd like to get out of the game, please. How many farmers have ever wanted to do that? I'd just like to get out of the game. Mary Alice, and I'm sorry, I'm in overtime. Mary Alice brought me some discs of sermons that I'd preached a long time ago. 
Someone were preaching in 96 when we were getting, when a, a church of 500 people were looking at building this campus and moving 12 miles. Can you imagine how I preached in those days? I had to give people an idea, a vision that I, could, that I hadn't even seen yet. And in 2004, we went through a you know, frame-off restoration and a transition that, that turned New Spring around. I was fighting for the life of the church as I stood up here, and I read the sermons, and tears just went down my eyes as I saw the seed that I was planting. And I stand up here four times, and I look out on the harvest, and I want to tell you what's really exciting about that is I'm 10 times busier than I was 10 years ago. And on top of that, I look at the next 10 years if God gives me, and I'm going to have to be 10 times as busy then as I am today. For all of you who know what it's like to experience seasons of success, you know there's a temptation to just get out of the game and inconspicuously consume. And so I could be talking to somebody here today who says, look, I, I don't want to share. I don't want to honor God. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to think about these other things. I just want to consume the harvest on me. Well, I want to tell you something today, and I love you. God loves you very much. I am convinced, as sure as my name is Mark, that he wants to bless you. And I'm convinced he wants to bless your harvest and all your fields. I mean, after all, he's the one who invented seed time and harvest. In Genesis 8.22, the Bible says, as long as the earth lasts, planting and harvest will never stop. It's his idea. But there's something you and I, please, if you, if you missed everything else, please get these next two lines. There's something you and I should understand. It's not about us. It isn't about us. Even the harvest God wants to give you is not about you. And even the blessing that God wants to bring in my life is not about me. It is about his plan in the world. See, here's the great thing. I fit into God's plan, but I'm not God's plan. You are part of God's story, but you're not God's story. Could we all just reach out and take each other by the shoulders metaphorically and say, you know what? It's not about us. We're not the center of the universe. God has got extraordinary plans, and the blessing and the harvest that he wants to bring about in our lives is to enrich us and then to allow us to enrich others in the process, change the world. And when you and I tell God, hey, I want out of the game. I want to get a yacht and a Ferrari and I want to have a condo and, you know, I mean, none of those things are wrong as long as you're still in the game. But that part that says, I just want to get out of the game and veg. And God is saying, well, do you really want to get out of the game? Very quickly, let me tell you a story Jesus told. There was once a rich man who had land which bore good crops. He began to think to himself, I don't have a place to keep all my crops. What can I do? This is what I'll do, he told himself. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones where I will store the grain and all my other goods. Then I will say to myself, lucky man, you have all the things you need for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night you'll have to give up your life. Then who will get all these things you've kept for yourself? And Jesus concluded, this is how it is with all those who pile up riches for themselves but are not rich in God's sight. And God is saying, are you out of the game? Then you're out of the game. Really out of the game. God is saying, look, you don't, you don't want to be part of my plan anymore? God is saying, I'll turn your lights out. Now who's going to get all that stuff that you built up? Now that's a little bit dramatic, but I think we get God's point. God is saying, look, it isn't about you, but it is. God is saying, you're part of my plan. As long as we understand what harvest is about in our lives. I know for a lot of us it's hard to imagine, 
But as God's word is on this, harvest is coming in your life if you will plant the seeds in good soil. The Bible says in Psalm 126.5, those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. Those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessings. So it will, ha- it will happen. You will have harvest. And when that harvest comes, and all of you harvesters know this, it will come with enrichment and accelerated opportunity. Are you ready for that? Are you ready? When that kind of harvest comes to your relationships and your finances and your career and your personal development, are you ready? Because when that time comes, you will need to harvest and stop and celebrate. You'll need to remember that God is the one who made it all happen and share out of your margin. And hopefully you'll be wise enough to honor God with the first of the harvest and then stay in the game because even when you get a harvest, God still has bigger things in mind. Thank you for being here. May God bless you. I hope you guys have an awesome week. We start a huge series next week called Amazing Grace. See you very, very soon. God bless.